for people to also begin to separate themselves a little bit from this and begin to reflect inwardly as well and to make some of their own assessments of these situations to apply a little bit of logic or common sense. You think that's too much to ask? Yeah. (laughs) First of all, because our education has not been designed to help us learn how to think clearly about Mm -hmm. experience, about the world. I'm serious. We're not taught how to think. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 130, PH Factor, Every Breath You Take, The Body Politic. So body politic is a medieval metaphor, Harry. An ancient metaphor by which a state, society, or church and its institutions are conceived of as a biological, usually human, Mm. body. So as it's usually applied, the metaphor implies hierarchical leadership and a division of labor, and it carries a strong autocratic or monarchical connotation. So it's a very interesting metaphor, and it's even older than that. It goes back to before 1500 BC. Yeah, you were saying. The Rig Veda, which is one of the oldest of the um, Hindu Hindu sacred books, where they explain the caste system by comparing the priesthood to the mouth, Uh soldiers to the arms, shepherds to the thighs, and peasants to the feet of humankind. And so think about our modern usage of the term head of state. Yes. That's directly a reference to this metaphor. Makes perfect sense. It's sort of a slight side angle to what we're talking about today, Mm. which is the politicization of everything Mm -hmm. and the body politic as a metaphor, which turns the state into a kind of human body with head and feet. The president is the head and the peasants are the feet and all that sort of thing. A hierarchical way of looking at society is all part of why we have politicized everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're not a peasant, you might be a soldier. If you're not a soldier, you could be a clergy. If you're not a clergy, you could be in government. Being in a category is a must. You have to be categorized to be slotted into a society that Mm -hmm. is a body politic. Right. right? And that's what we're living in. We're living in the body politic of the Western world. Mm -hmm. And everything has become categorized. And Ricky Gervais, who's a comic that I enjoy, I'm not sure how you feel about him. There's a quote from him that I think is pertinent to what we're talking about today. He says, Social media amplifies everything. If you're mildly left-wing on Twitter, you're suddenly Trotsky. If you're mildly conservative, you're Hitler. And if you're centrist and you look at both arguments, you're a coward and they both hate you. Yeah, it's true. You can take society and you can see that there are extreme people with extreme views that are left of center. Mm -hmm. And there are people on the right that have extreme views right of center they will never be able to talk to each other. And then you have all the people in the middle 
The ones on the left of center that are more moderate mm-hmm. are kind of moving back and forth, getting a bit more extreme, less extreme, depending on the situation. Fluctuating on the situation. Fluctuation, right. but they don't tend to jump onto the conservative side that often. And the same on the conservative side. There's movement right. in that middle zone, kind of a mishmash of uncertainty in a way right. of their position. But shiftable. But shiftable. And so all of our communications, there's this movement going on, but not big jumps. Mm-hmm. Why? because we're not actually able to listen to each other anymore with any depth and be affected by what the other person is saying. In other words, listen so deeply that- We'll actually consider making a change. That our preconceptions and our assumptions, we realize, ah, okay, I was operating on an assumption that really isn't accurate. I see your point. Right. When does that happen? Mm -hmm. When does that happen now? It's almost as if you're giving the other person the opportunity to speak, but your mind is made up before they're even completed their statement. Of course. And you see that everywhere on social media now in regards to COVID and the measures, the lockdown measures, the mask, mandatory mask orders, etc. You don't find a discussion on uh, Facebook where it doesn't degrade at a certain point into this kind of juvenile name-calling Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're just an idiot or you're just a wacko or something So would like you that. say that we live in a time where you're almost expected to place yourself on a particular part of the spectrum? Sure. You've got to take your sides. Right. You've got to choose your you, team. You need to have a position. You have to have a position. Not too long ago, people would say to you, so what do you believe in? And if you said, I don't really have any beliefs, they say, you have to believe in something. Right. Where does that come from? You have to believe in something. Why can't you just have an open mind? Exactly. And not believe in anything, but try to respond to the situation as it shows itself with the proper response or a response that makes sense, as opposed to an ideological response that's automatic. So in politics, for example, you become more issue-centric. Rather than taking political sides on an ideology, you actually discuss things from an issue-centric point of view. Mm, Give me an example, if you would. So if you're talking about, i.e., children's education. Okay. So that is the issue. We now discuss it based on the interest of the children at heart. Right. So regardless of our personal views, we put the children's interest first. Okay. Not our political views. Right. That says you're on the right, I'm on the left. Yeah, but you know what's happened? That uh, feeling of we want to help our children is swallowed up into the ideology and then spat out as this is how we're going to help our children. This is the way we will actually help our children. You're politicizing it first and then putting out the solution. Yeah, it becomes an ideological solution to a particular problem at a particular time in our evolution. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it works. It just happens to be the right decision for the right time. A lot of the times it doesn't work at all. It's a time when politics, politicians are pushing the blame around and decision-making is being pushed over here and they're hiding behind doctors and medical professionals. When it's convenient. Sure, when it's convenient. Oh, I'm not making this decision, folks. It's not me that's saying you have to do this. It's Dr. So-and-so, Dr. Fauci or whoever. Mm -hmm. And then I take a closer look at who these people are and they look at Dr. Fauci and they discover that he has all these investments in vaccination companies Mm -hmm. and all of these different agendas in the background that could be operating. Not saying they are operating, no, no, I know. but they You're, could be operating. Yeah, well, we're having right? an open discussion here. We have to examine both sides. He, I mean, he, yeah, he may be perfectly on the level mm-hmm. and not corrupt in the way that that suggests. On the other hand, people are discovering this and they're putting it out and they're saying that's questioning the integrity 
exactly. of Dr. Fauci, right. and that should be looked at. Mm-hmm. Not ignored, not suppressed. Yes. I should not be called a wacko for bringing that up. I'm not a conspiracy theorist yes. for bringing that up. No. I'm just asking the question, what's going on here? And if there is no issue, it should be open to conversation and there should be no running. It's just a straightforward inquiry. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily tell the truth, but the fact <laughs> that you even avoid the question. When is there ever even a straightforward inquiry or discussion anymore? I'm actually really upset. Okay. I don't think I've ever been this upset in my life, not because of the COVID thing, but because of the level of discussion and discourse that this whole thing has fallen into, which means that communities are being divided against each other. Yes. And it's not even so much that the government is doing that. The government is getting people to police their own fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. You can't come in here. Why are you not wearing, you know? Uh, well, because I have a medical condition. Well, you're not shopping in my store. Sorry. Well, I have a right to. The law says, sorry, go on. You know, and all of these things start to break down the fabric of society. And this is happening with friends and family members as well. Lots of examples of that. Mm-hmm. This is going on right now as we speak. Even between couples. Between couples as well. Communication is mm-hmm. really breaking down in a terrible way here. Mm-hmm. And so the virus is one thing. The repercussions to our communities and our society, not just on the physical health level, but on the level of interpersonal communications, of mutual listening and understanding, is being torn apart right now. Mm -hmm. It's scary and it's depressing. Well, there's another element to that that concerns me as well, is the level of fatigue that it's generating. There There are a lot of people who are basically giving up because they don't know who to trust or what to listen to, or they're overwhelmed. Yeah, and they're just trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. And they're not questioning, they're not inquiring, they're not even staying up on the latest data or anything like that. They're just trying to go day to day and get through it. And I understand, not everybody can be right. uh, spending hours of their day Googling and reading research papers and arguing back and forth with people, right? We're privileged to be able to do that, you yes. and I. Yes. When I mention the word fatigue, for me, fatigue is sort of the harbinger of apathy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. apathy yeah. to me is worse than having an opinion one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But at least when you're still discussing and having an opinion or a debate, there's room for creativity. There's room for solutions, for problem solving. Not everyone experiences it the same way. I don't mind checking the news now and then. I don't do it for hours at a time, but I will daily, probably 15, 20 minutes, or when I have a moment, I'll look for specific headlines so that gives me an idea of what's going on. I like to stay informed. The question, of course, is, is the information that you're getting correct? Yeah. But you can't even make that determination if you don't have any information coming in. Right. And if the information coming in is conflicting and you're not a doctor or an epidemiologist, you're not able to say this study makes sense and is more reliable than that study. I'm not able to determine that. All I can see is that there's two conflicting studies Mm -hmm. and they both have doctor's names attached to them. So how do I know what to trust as the real data? Well, the fact is what we come down to is that we don't know. Mm -hmm. 
we're in a place where we don't know. And when you're in a place where you don't know, taking sides and being rigid in, is even worse. in your stance is the worst thing you can do exactly. within a situation which is changeable and uncertain, etc. Shouldn't you be open and fluid and listening more than talking? And yes, blah, blah, blah. so extend that to the people, so-called people in power. It behooves them to really listen to each other. And to us. And to us. Their constituents, after all, who put them in power to make responsible decisions. Mm -hmm. And if they appear to not be able to do that, we have a right to hold their feet to the fire and get them to explain themselves. Conversations that are sure to polarize, in which for everything you say, I come back with what I have to say without ever taking into account what you just said. You know what happens when people disagree, they literally have the capacity to listen to 10 seconds of what the other side has to say. 10 seconds, that's three sentences. And by then, they already are busy creating their rebuttal. They are no longer listening. They are just preparing their return, their retort. When you have that kind of conversation, here is what happens. One is I am constantly just going to come back at you. I am not integrating what I heard from you and it doesn't influence anything of what I'm saying. So basically you're saying the same thing over and over again and I'm saying the same thing over and over again and those two never meet. And the more I say X, the more I make you say Y. It's me who is reinforcing you saying the fundamental thing with which you disagree with. When the original lockdowns happened around the world, mm. we were told it was to keep the hospitals from being overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Well, the odd hospital was pressured, right. but most around the world were not. Exactly. Okay. And as the curve started to flatten, hospitals started to empty out and they're not in a condition critical situation in most places around the world. Well, did governments say, the situation has changed now. Mm -hmm. We have to be fluid and mobile about it. That original strategy of locking everything down and making sure nobody left their homes. We have to reconsider. We need to now dial that back, change mm -hmm. it up a little bit because we know that the hospitals are not being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And that's great, folks. So now we can start dialing back. So what happens now is they kept that course going for a long time. And then as the numbers really started to come down, the death numbers, they said, well, we're going to start easing restrictions in this gradual phasing step-by-step -step mm -hmm. situation. But restrictions all along the way, all along the way, and not even taking into account that there are places where there's virtually no cases mm -hmm. and there are places where there's a lot of cases. In general, they're saying the same thing to everybody and everybody now is getting mask orders mandated. Right. But what you just said, though, there's a perfect opportunity for strong leadership. Now, a strong leader or leaders would consider all the things that you said. So now it's very important how this information is communicated. If you've ascertained that what you say is true, that there are pockets that require much more attention, and then there are areas that essentially are almost virtually unaffected, yep. in which case you cannot categorize them or put them into the same category right. to find a solution. The solution is going to differ for each situation. Yeah. Now, what I find a problem is the extreme even in responses. So, 
It's one thing to say, look, we have a specific problem here. We need to access greater or more resources for this particular problem. We need to focus here. This particular area does not require as much. So we shift our focus to this. Paying attention to that. You don't dismiss it completely, right. but you're focusing. But what some people do, or some leaders do, they go to the other extreme. They go, oh, this is nothing. Yeah, Brazil, for example. Brazil, U.S., yeah. uh, in the beginning. Right. So all you've done is you have fueled the populace in many ways because you've taken those what might have been minor divisions mm -hmm. and you've mm -hmm. now made them major divisions. Of course. Of because course. you haven't realistically addressed the problem in the sense of you don't want to overstate and you don't want to understate. There are very few leaders, in my opinion, who seem to walk that line of balance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you're not dismissing it, but at the same time, you're not making it the gravest thing that ever hit the earth. Yeah, yeah. It goes beyond this, though, Peter. It goes beyond our ability to think clearly about things. For example, the lockdown happened in March in most places around the globe, in mid-March, around there. Yeah. And people got into lockstep with that in general. Yeah. And then we see the, the curve flattening, the hospitals clearing out, death rates going down. And then we're seeing flare-ups in different parts of the world. Melbourne, New Zealand had a few. Canada, out west, recently has had flare-ups, right? Right. And so the people who feel that the lockdown was the right strategy are saying that those flare-ups are a second wave, so to speak. Mm -hmm. A second wave. The people who question that original lockdown strategy are saying it's not a second wave at all. It's still part of the first wave. Because you locked people down, mm -hmm. they weren't able to engage the virus and process it and have their immune systems deal with it and have it move through right. the society. So it's just part of the first wave, just spread out over a longer period of time. Two diametrically opposed viewpoints. Yes, but The lockdown again. worked and see how that happened. And the other side saying the lockdown didn't work. We're just getting more so-called second wave outbreaks because of that lockdown. But again, this is where people really focus to the leaders, the people that they're hoping will inform them, whether it's their local government, whether it's their state, whatever position you're in, mm -hmm. it's incumbent, in my opinion, on the leadership to begin to assess and communicate neither extreme. Yeah. Instead of doing that, in many situations, these are seen as opportunities to strengthen their specific position. Of course. I mean, every single word, and I mean every single word, phrase, and sentence that comes out of Trump's mouth is designed to make him look good so that he's re-electable. Everything he says now has got nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with the health of the nation, and everything to do with how do I look saying this, how is this going to come across come election time, mm -hmm. essentially? If that isn't the politicization of everything, uh, I don't know what is. So it just seems to me that as long as we have this idea that whatever you're saying has an agenda behind it, yes, automatically, we'll never be able to actually talk to each other honestly and have a true meeting. This subject is talked about so much, and it's part of our life every hour of every day now in terms of these positions that are being taken and so on. So to me, it's more important than ever for people to also begin 
to separate themselves a little bit from this and begin to reflect inwardly as well and to make some of their own assessments of these situations to apply a little bit of logic or common sense. You think that's too much to ask? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, because our education has not been designed to help us learn how to think clearly about Mm -hmm. experience, about the world. I'm serious. We're not taught how to think. I think Heidegger, the philosopher, has said something about the most thoughtful thing about our world is that we still haven't learned how to think or something like that. I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing. But he's right. We haven't learned how to use our logic in a way that allows other people to have access to it and to see the sense in it. And speaking of sense, we've also lost our common sense too. We've stopped thinking in a common sense way. And in order to fall into one camp or the other, we have to get more extreme and rigid in our viewpoints. And common sense kind of falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. It becomes more about winning yep. or making your stand than it does about actually being reasonable or thinking things through and yep. making them issue-centric. Winning. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Remember Charlie Sheen's winning. And to, to be serious for a moment, mm. uh, back in the 1920s, uh, Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian uh, sort of spiritual researcher, if you like, mm. and scientist, said that what is going to be happening, he predicted that what we're going to see, and this is his sort of term for it, is the war of all against all. Interesting. When I read that, I went, wow. Where every person is their own nation, Mm. if you like, Mm -hmm. and each person is warring against all these other nations who have these viewpoints that are different from them in one form or another. And it's this constant conflict amongst people in society and around the world. And we're sort of seeing that, and thanks to technology, which we have to give a nod to. For sure. These ideas, incorrect, correct, extreme, whatever, are flying with blinding speed around the planet. Mm -hmm. One wrong, untrue story flies around the planet with blinding speed and is picked up by X number of people who swallow it without question. And -hmm. now that's part of their arsenal in their discussions with other people. And they won't double and triple check that to make sure it's a correct assumption. Yeah. (laughs) And so... Unfortunately, that also seems to be happening with the people in charge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in a sense, if you are in a specific political camp, you almost have to do that. You have to toe the line for your party, right? Right. Exactly. Because even within a party, that's the part that I find frustrating, is that, okay, I understand loyalty. I understand an allegiance to the people that you agree with and support. However, sometimes these changes or these things that are being put on to you are egregious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At which point you have to say, yes, Harry, you and I agree, but this thing, I can't ignore this. Uh, This one goes outside of the rule book here. We've got to change our thinking on this. Or as you said, adapt if the progression of the COVID situation is such, then apply this. But Mm -hmm. if that changes, you must change with it or find ways to adapt to that shift. You also have to say that if there's blame to be spread around, that the health professionals 
have to accept a lot of that blame because they are the advisors. They're advising these people in power. This is what you have to do next. This is what we recommend here, mm-hmm. etc. In our area of Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph, which is populated by 272,000 people, we have exactly one person, a doctor, Dr. Right. Mercer, who has been given the power to make decisions on behalf of our health, quote unquote, that has put people in masks everywhere in our community mm-hmm. when the infection rate is almost nil. And she was the first one to do that in all of the municipalities in the area. And there's been a lot of pushback on that in social media, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So health professionals have to take some of the blame for the stringency and for the lack of fluidity and flexibility, flexibility yes. in approaching this uncertain and mobile and changing phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just get the feeling that this is how you decouple and uh, this is how you simplify so that you don't have to do the work. Yeah, You can come sure. up with a quick rule, there, fixes everything. Yeah. If I do the apply to the situation, I have to work. I have to figure different things out. Whereas if I can make one blanket rule, mm-hmm. I don't have to do any of that. Yeah, or as one person pointed out on social media, I'm just too lazy to take all that time to research all of these studies and come to some sort of definitive conclusion. So I'll just take three seconds, put on the mask. Well, at least that's honest yeah. and direct sure. and easy to comprehend. Sure. Easy to understand that an individual has made a choice. Yep. He called himself lazy. I would also apply the word fatigue to that. Yeah, I think we are psychologically fatigued. And physically fatigued. I've noticed it too in the last month or so. Mm. I really am fatigued physically and feeling really emotionally fatigued as well with all of this. You have to kind of step away, as you said, and refresh and turn off the tap of noise around it. You turn Mm -hmm. on the radio and every single person is talking about some aspect of the situation when there's much more going on in the world than just COVID. Even though we're not experts ourselves, and we're here just to discuss the subject, I'm curious to know what you think are some fundamental or basic elements that could be applied here that might get us on a little bit of a different track. In other words, how do we get out of the bind of politicizing? Yes. Politicizing everything? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, one thing would be to actually take a moment not respond immediately to what's coming at you. We have these immediate responses that well up out of us and they're reactive. Reactive, yes. But if we gave ourselves a moment, say, just stop for a sec, don't respond. Think, consider, take a breath, and then respond, generally speaking, is different. It wouldn't be the same. And this goes for both sides. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Also try to give our children more freedom as they grow up, to become whoever they want to become. I think that's very important. Not to shape them into our own idea of what's right or wrong or perfect or imperfect or appropriate or not appropriate. Let them find their way so that they become free movers, free dancers around society. Mm -hmm. And they don't fall immediately into one party line or the other, but they consider all possibilities. And there are two things that happen with that. You in a leadership position are dealing with a totally different society, which will affect the way you govern and lead as well. Mm -hmm. Because you will know that the people that you're processing to or making laws for 
are people that are reflective, that will ponder, that will not necessarily react to every single thing. So you're going to have to govern differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, beyond that, govern differently. <laughs> Our system of government and of electing people has to shift as well. Mm -hmm. So that people who are more independently minded can find their way into the halls of power and have a voice too. So proportional representation and all that, those alternative ways of electing our governments need to be looked at seriously and many of them brought into effect. Because all we have now is a two-person race typically mm -hmm. here and in the States. There are no other viewpoints really allowed into the mix. The Green mm -hmm. Party grudgingly is allowed in, but they're not really considered seriously. And independents are typically not elected because people can't categorize them. They're not falling into one camp or the other. So the categorization applies not only to the people who are governing, but it applies to the governed. Yeah. If we allow ourselves to be pigeonholed, mm -hmm. it makes it much easier for the people in power to pigeonhole. Sure. And they themselves replicate us. And I've always felt this, that leaders in our system, our democratic system, often reflect the people that they're governing. So how do you feel like the government has pigeonholed you? I don't feel pigeonholed. You don't? No. Okay. I do in the sense that I'm restricted by whatever laws are passed and whatever restrictions are imposed. Right. Uh, however, I don't feel completely confined by them because oftentimes... I'm not a lawbreaker, but I will adjust in a situation if I don't think that whatever is being said or told makes sense. I won't necessarily follow it to a letter. Right, right. So I don't feel as restricted, perhaps. Maybe I should, but I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, I believe that individuals collectively have the power. You think? I do. <laughs> and again, I'm probably kidding myself, according to many people's views, but I do believe that. United we stand, divided we fall. Mm -hmm. I'm a very strong believer in that. Mm -hmm. Back up a second. How yeah. do you achieve that unity amongst people, that unification, if intrinsically we're each our own little body politic, our own little nation, we have all our own viewpoints that differ from the neighbors and we can't kind of get along fully with the neighbors because theirs different from another. How are you ever going to achieve that unity of purpose and vision required in the population if we're constantly being divided against ourselves by politicians, mm -hmm. corporations, et cetera, et cetera? How okay. do you achieve that? I don't have the answer to that. All I know is that the opposite is worse. So if you give in to the fact that you don't see a possibility of change. You feel that you're in a system that is unchangeable and you adopt that thinking within yourself. Yeah, right. It's like an argument. It's very difficult to do realistically. But if you and I are arguing mm -hmm. about anything, right. once one of us has the capability to either pull back or stop arguing, the argument ends. Of course. The question yeah. is, Who's going to give in first? Who gets and, the last word? <laughs> yeah, and how worked up are you such that that makes it impossible? I refer back to the fatigue. I think it's much easier to get people to move the way you want them to move when they're tired mm -hmm, sure. or they're scared. Yeah, scared especially. There are millions and billions of people on the planet who have a visceral, emotional, palpable, panicky sensation of fear and anxiety. Right. when the virus is raised as an issue, mm -hmm. right? 
And no amount of calm thinking is going to help in a situation that's so uncertain and where there's so much conflicting information. I don't even pretend to have the answers for other people. Right. I'm just suggesting that when you've reached a certain limit, you have to change your thinking and look at other approaches. You've reached the dead end. I mean, if you can't get rid of that visceral response, you're literally down to two basic choices, live or die. You just hit the nail on the head that re-examining your own feeling about your own death, Mm -hmm. which this virus has made us do in many ways, is one way to overcome that fear. It's to understand my relationship to my own death. Personally, I've come to a place with this that I'm not actually afraid at all of the virus, of even contracting it, even though I'm 69 going on 70. I'm not afraid, strangely enough. I don't have a palpable fear in me. What I'm feeling with the anxiety I'm beginning to feel is the result of this on our community and on society. If ever we're through to the other side, Mm -hmm. how are people going to relate again? How are we going to do that? When the all clear is given, you think people are going to suddenly jump from six feet or two meters separation to hugging each other? Not instantly. It's not going to happen. Even though we're being told 100%, there's no more virus in the the air, folks. And the reason the anxiety will continue and people will do that is because we've been given the idea that asymptomatic people could be carriers and vectors and not know it. I've already talked to people who have expressed to me that they don't want to see it go from stage two to stage three. They want it to stay at stage two. Really? Why? Because? Because they feel a certain security in knowing that. That everything is locked and people can't yeah, get close to you and their masks are everywhere. I get that. Mm-hmm. Almost from day one, more so as it continues. We have adopted a mentality, a warlike mentality, as if this virus is intentionally yeah. coming after us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other issue is that We're under some kind of false impression that we can eradicate whatever we want to eradicate. We're not going to eradicate this virus. Yeah, and a certain, I'll use the word resignation. Right. To the fact that these things are with us, that X number of people every year, sometimes more, sometimes less, get infected with respiratory flu-like symptoms every year, taking in the U.S. 60 to 80,000 people on the average per year. the potential for understanding, is my ability to take in what you say, to mull it over, to include it in my response, so that I make you feel that you matter, that what you say makes a difference, that it enters me, that you're not just talking to the wind. What is lacking is the ability to see that speaking is entirely dictated by the quality of the listening that is reflected back on us. If I am talking to someone who is on their phone, I will be expressing myself and experiencing the communication completely different than if I am speaking to someone who is looking at me in the eyes, who is shaking their head, who says to me, I get it. I understand. Not necessarily I agree. So when you listen to me, the first thing I need to know is that I have your attention. The second thing I need to know is that maybe you can acknowledge the validity of my point of view. 
That doesn't mean you agree with my point of view, but my point of view makes sense. And potentially, you may even empathize with my point of view. You can understand why I would think or feel or experience things the way I do. That reflecting back, acknowledging, validating, empathizing, that sequence is where the depth of communication takes place. We're living in the world of information, we're told. Right. And that information is power. And I think it's really ironic that this COVID virus, which is nothing more than a piece of information, we're told, mm -hmm. a piece of RNA, a genetic material, it's not a living thing, we're told, that a little tiny piece of information that is invisible to us, essentially, has sort of taken the world and sent it into a tailspin. Mm -hmm. The world of information. It's yeah. karmic or something. Well, something else, too, in the way people are processing. The level of mental impairedness on a global scale has increased. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. If that's true, then, it would make sense that we're having a more difficult time processing or resigning ourselves. We trusted in our leadership. We trusted that the people we elected were moral and thoughtful and decent folk. But a lot of these people that we elected were products of the same environment that we were in. We talk about, yeah. we talk about elected officials like there's something separate from us. They are us. Yeah. If there's mental illness among the population, there's mental illness among the leadership too. <laughs> the leaders are us. They're not separate. Yeah. And so what has to happen from your perspective is that the population itself, us, you, me, our neighbors, have to depoliticize our lives. Yes, at the ground level, and then the people who grow out of that can become leaders and operate in a more humanistic fashion. Yes. We live in a society or a world which we have a part in creating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you can adopt that and really internalize that, you will begin to change the way you operate on a day-to-day -day basis. Because all that energy that is consumed in frustration and anger about things that are already there that have been created and are now systemic, maybe it is too late for some things. I think for a, a lot of people, that is the worldview. And I'm getting to that point, I'm afraid, that it is too late. Because the longer these institutions that are categorized, all the isms, right, communism, socialism, capitalism, all the religious isms, as long as those are in place, and many of them have been in place for centuries, if mm -hmm. not thousands of years, and put that beside Joe Barber, who's making his living snipping eyebrows and hair and makes a few bucks and feeds his family mm -hmm. and it's just trying to get by. As long as that's happening, that little guy is not going to feel that they can do anything that will make any real difference. Now, somebody who's maybe younger and more idealistic, possibly, there's Greta Thunbergs. Mm-hmm. But how many of them have we seen? How many of these kinds of people, the Gandhis, the Mother Teresas, the world teachers in a sense, have we seen recently to look up to, to learn from, to become inspired by, to be depoliticized through? Greta Thunberg is talking to politicians around the world and saying, fuck politics. 
I'm talking to you as a young person, as a member of the next generation who's going to inherit this globe of ours, mm -hmm. and you keep screwing up the planet. Mm -hmm. Why don't you realize that? And why aren't you doing anything? It's got nothing to do with politics. You're right. And so she's a breath of fresh air. Where are these people? I don't see many of them around. Mm -hmm. So we have to begin to generate, so to speak, these kinds of world teachers, mm -hmm. either through our education or through personal mentoring or whatever it is, to break the spell You've, of this society. You've got to go back to child rearing, family life, love and security. Do you want to raise independent thinking individuals? Yeah. You have to give them the base. Yeah, sure. From which to grow. Yeah, and so there are different school systems that have evolved that have attempted to kind of do that. The Montessori school system, and the Waldorf school system, they've been evolved to help to shape a different kind of soul and spirit in the world that is not your typical, that is a bit more open-minded, a bit more creative, a bit more open. The whole idea of politicization, it touches everything. The nature of language and how we communicate with words is really shifted as well. Words were created, our language was created to symbolize feelings and experiences and emotions and to communicate that through a language that pointed at certain things you could share in and go, oh yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But we've gotten farther and farther away from the, a direct transmission of our experiences and our feelings so that words are now so indirect and so symbolic that there's no direct communication anymore. It's all about, well, what do you really mean? What is that person really saying behind the words? We don't trust the words that are directly in front of us anymore. Right. right? What's the meaning? What's the agenda that person is bringing to this? And that's more important than the words. We've given over the power of words to the agenda of politicization. And that's a sad thing. Right. So the words themselves are representative of the agenda that we perceive from our leaders. Yeah. We don't believe any of the words coming out of the mouths of our politicians. That's been the case for a long time now. When was the last time we felt we could trust what a politician was saying as being the actual truth about things? Mm -hmm. What you're saying is, is that the actual words themselves can no longer be guaranteed to reflect the thought or viewpoint they were actually designed to do. Yeah, they've lost their power to point at something directly and give you that experience of it without there being the sense that the words aren't exactly what you're trying to say. You're trying to say something else and you're hiding behind these words, another agenda that you want me to swallow. Basically, it amounts to trust that we don't trust each other anymore to be real and authentic and present in the moment. And that's the politicization of everything, is attributing agenda to everything that people are saying. So how do we get rid of that? How do we stop that? We have to stop projecting agenda on people and start listening to the words that they're saying. And take them to task on the actual words that they're expressing. Yeah, yeah. Which is happening a lot in these so-called news conferences and so on that are being held mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And reporters are often asking the questions 
wanting answers that they're not getting because the responses are not in line with the actual questions that they're asking. Well, they're rarely in line. They're always deflected in one form or the other. It's an art, it's a craft. Politicians learn the art of deflecting difficult questions into party line statements that they've parroted and said over and over again. You see it all the time. Well, maybe that's part of it though. You used to see it sometimes if you were home when the news was on or you caught that particular piece of information in a newspaper article. But today, you're almost guaranteed getting it and getting it to excess mm -hmm. because of all the devices of the constant bombardment and the ease with which information is transferred through multiple channels. Yeah. So maybe we are also getting a kind of exaggerated view. Or maybe for the first time, we're actually seeing all these things that we were hearing about but sort of left us, but now we can't escape it because we're actually getting it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also that words have been essentially kidnapped and funneled through the category Democrat, Republican, left-wing, right-wing, center. Language has been kidnapped in a way and corrupted because of the politicization of everything, that everything has to be slotted into a certain worldview and you got to take sides. And if you take this side, you have to speak in a certain way. If you take that side, you have to speak in another way and use different kinds of words and language or else you're not part of the team. You know? So maybe one of the critical things to that entire situation that you're discussing right now is for us on the receiving end as individuals, as a population, not to allow ourselves to be categorized. Oh, I'd love for that to happen, but how do you make that happen? How do you... Not have yourself be categorized. How do you do it? Well, they can categorize you as long as you don't internalize it and become it. Right. You can call me whatever you want to call me. Mm -hmm. You can call me JJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can call me Ray J. Yeah. But, if, but I have to allow for that to happen. I have to allow for your definition of me mm -hmm. to be internalized and for me to process back. So... If we as individuals do not allow that or minimize that, it's perhaps the first step to making changes. In other words, I won't allow you to categorize me. Right. That is doable. For example, people who are physically disabled, mm -hmm. well, at one point they'd be labeled as cripples, crippled people. The language has changed around disabled people, which has actually empowered them to not categorize themselves as crippled, mm -hmm. for example, or disabled, they're physically challenged. Okay, so in response to how do you deal with these things that are coming at you, you just gave the perfect example. Had you encountered a cripple 30 years ago by that name or by that categorization, cripple, yeah, right. the cripple, him or herself, would have messaged back to you that they were accepting that. Which, yes, of which, which confirmed your initial communication to them or about them because it was accepted. Once that individual, him or her, responded to you and say, either through action or their behavior, that I am not those things that you're saying, right. you now have to reconsider. Yeah, sure. So you have to speak up, in other words, in order for 
this categorization to change, and often it is through a use of language. Please don't call me such and such. Mm -hmm. I do believe that complacency is one of the biggest problems that we face in our daily lives for any number of reasons, whether it's our inability to oppose, whether it's fatigue, whether it's accepting or thinking that we can't make a difference. Yeah. Because I contend that that's a big part of what ails us in general is this inability for us to think of ourselves as individuals and being able to make a difference, however small that might be in the big picture. Well, you have to think out of the box to do that. And what a lot of people have done, well, some people, not a lot of people, is they've given themselves experiences, Mm. whether it's through climbing a mountain or running the marathon for the first time or taking psychedelics or ayahuasca or something like that, such that it forces them to reconsider what they're capable of, what the world is and what this world is that we're living in. So giving ourselves unique experiences that push us beyond our boundaries would help to tear down categories as well. Mm -hmm. Again, we'd love to hear your comments. Yeah, and an audio book could be a bonus if you contribute. Yeah, and we have a little button on our website. You just press and record. Exactly. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.